This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, can I just fucking say how stupid it is that the whole Drew Hunter Hunter Drew thing was a joke with you because I fucked his name up and then we're <laughs> on the pod right now and I go... Dennis Lambert, and you're like, uh, his name's Brad, and I'm like, fuck, yeah. I can't even get my own bits right, stupid. Dennis Lambert and Drew Hunter are going to be great. Everybody. Welcome to the Forever Mighty Podcast. It's me, Stephen. I am here with Eddie, and we are doing a special episode, as it were, today. Uh, we decided, with the last nine games of the Duck season being meaningless, um, really in every in every way, that it would be worth our time to take a look at some of the prospects that are going to be in this year's draft and try to get an idea of you know, maybe what it is that Anaheim does have to look forward to this summer. Uh, so with us today is someone that worked with me and Eddie at the Hockey Writers. Uh, and now he has moved on to bigger and better things. He is the director of content for FC Hockey, and it is Joshua Bell. How you doing, Josh? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's like 3.30 in the morning for you two, so I really appreciate you guys <laughs> working around my schedule. Eddie's used to it. I feel less bad about it. usually him. is 3.30 in the morning when we're jumping on a podcast because the next game <laughs> <laughs> usually starting at 10.30 p.m. So, <sighs> so I, I guess the easy place to start is I heard two things about this draft class kind of right around that time last year, just before the entry draft where your kind of guys are moving on to the next group. You've kind of already done all your work. And the two things that I had heard was it's quote unquote, not a great draft and it's defenseman heavy. How much is either of those things true? Well, it's interesting. I know everybody's been saying it's, it's not a great draft and, I kind of think it's led to this misconception that there's no talent in the draft, and there's definitely talent. There's not, um, you don't have a, a Lafreniere or a Hughes at the top, some guy that is like the, the bona fide number one. Um, instead of those, there's, you typically have one or two guys right at the top that are, you have a discussion if it's this guy or that guy, Hughes or Kako, Lafreniere mm-hmm. or Byfield. Um, this year we don't have that. That tier's not there. 
Um, but that second tier that we see in the draft every year is still there. And as many as eight to 10 prospects. So there's, there's talent at the top, there's talent through, there's some really nice gems that could be found later in the draft. So I wouldn't say it's, it's a bad draft. It doesn't have that superstar potential, but uh, there, there's definitely talent. And then um, defense heavy. I think it definitely started that way with uh, Luke Hughes, Brant Clark, Simon Edvinson. Um, they're right at the top, but instead of all of them being right there, a couple forwards have entered the conversation, Matty Veneers, William Eklund, and even a goalie in, in Jesper Wallstedt. So there's definitely some some higher-end defensemen, but other positions have entered into the conversation as well. So you would say that the two things that I thought I knew were incorrect. They're, they're correct on some level. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's interesting to me that you say it that way, because I do think that that is probably a more accurate way to talk about it, which is that it's not a quote-unquote bad or weak draft. It's that there is no clear number one, number two kind of guy, which makes the rest of it feel a little murky. As you were saying, you kind of have eight or ten guys, and you know a couple of these guys have snuck in that maybe weren't in the conversation last year. Um, how quickly normally do you think people kind of get an idea of what the top 15 to 20 guys in a class is going to be? Like, is it, you know, like with Connor Bedard where we're like four years out or whatever it is and everyone's like, Oh yeah, no, this kid's for real. Or is it one of those things that about six months before the previous draft, you kind of start to get an idea. Yeah. I think like a guy like Bedard, you kind of know 2023 Mm -hmm. and Mishkov in Russia, both of them are, are going to be the first two. It seems almost like a sure thing at this point. Um, but I think the year before, so that full D minus one year, you kind of get a picture of, okay, these guys are really standing out. Um, the D minus two tends not to matter too, too much just because these guys are are pretty young, like 15, 16 years old and Mm -hmm. development can really, really change. Look at a guy like Atu Ratty and I'm sure I'm butchering that name and I'm sure I'll butcher some more, Um, (laughs) but he entered the year as it seemed like the number one guy and I don't think he's in many top tens anymore so the development year to year really matters so yeah i'd say through the d minus one and around christmas world juniors time you kind of get a really good picture and then obviously if you this year as an example things can really change in the year though Mm -hmm. yeah when you go into a year where there's not a clear number one like you mentioned kind of the last couple drafts there's always either been at least one guy maybe another guy will jump in like capo caco did in the the Jack Hughes uh, draft year and kind of challenge for that number one spot. And you've you've usually got either a clear number one or a one-two running mate that that we usually head into. What what does the tier look like for you this year where we don't have a clear number one? How many guys are in that top tier where they're challenging for that number one spot? And and then how how much does it drop off after that uh, initial tier? So I think through the year, there's probably been 10 guys that are in that conversation and, and could be the number one pick. Um, so Hughes, Wallstedt, Power, Edvinson, Eklund, Clark, Beneers, Johnson, Gwenther, and Lazelle, I think have all been kind of tossed around as guys that could go first or overall. And that doesn't even include Ratty, who's kind of fallen out of that conversation. As the year has gone on, it seemed like it's kind of focused in a little bit. Uh, Gwenther seemed to fall down a little bit just because he wasn't playing, so he wasn't in that number one conversation. He's entering it again now. Lazelle had 
it looks like he's had a quiet year in Sweden, but he's playing in the SHL and some nights playing under five minutes a game. So we'll see him next week at the uh, the U18s, and he could really shoot up. Um, so yeah, I think any one of those ten guys, it's it's still pretty open. Um, a bunch of them are playing next week in the the U18s, and a strong tournament could really push somebody over the edge. So last year. Jeremy Poirier was kind of one of my favorite guys just because he was in a lot of ways just kind of a, a thermometer as far as where was he going what was that saying about how teams are kind of looking at the draft and like you know I remember I can't remember who said it but somebody basically said when he's on the ice you know something's going to happen you just don't know for who and I just kind of like those guys who seem to have the upside but have the we don't know what to do with this guy questions. And it feels like this year that that's Atu Ratty, if I believe that is the case, as far as a guy of having seemingly having legitimate upside, but having questions about the process, I guess is a good way to say it. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, a, a lot of guys in the draft that are like that. And Eddie, I just realized I didn't answer the second half of your question. So this kind of ties <laughs> in um, like the tier after the top 10. There's there's kind of flags. So this would typically be the third, fourth tier in a regular draft, we'll call it. Um, and yeah, there's lots of question marks. A guy like Carson Lambos is in that conversation. And he was another guy who entered the season as maybe he could go number one and he's fallen into the back half just because hasn't taken that step forward. And there is some questions about his decision-making and he just doesn't really have that uh, extra step that we were hoping to see from him. Um, Raddy, yeah, I did a deep dive into Raddy and, and he could very much be that guy. Um, if you look at each one of his skills individually, he seems so good, but he just can't seem to put it together and it, under pressure, he really breaks down sometimes. So it, it, there's definitely potential there, but he's going to need some work and, uh, there could be a, a few years before he sees the league. Yeah, he's one of those guys where, you know, we've talked about a lot of the, the European players this year have had the benefit of playing for the entire year and getting a lot of eyes on them. He kind of seems like he's on the opposite end of that spectrum where he's getting a lot of looks and he hasn't maybe taken that next step forward that a lot of the other guys have had and has fallen down the list because of that. Because now you're starting to kind of nitpick and, and I guess kind of the Jake Sanderson effect from last year where everybody got a lot more looks at Jake Sanderson as the year went on and the draft got delayed. And he shot up the rankings. It's almost the opposite effect with Ratty here, where you know now we've we've seen him so much, and he's one of the kind of the few players you've been able to get a good look at this year that he just kind of falls down uh, a little bit while the other guys like you know Eklund and, and Edmondson jump up the list. Yeah, and it's it's really weird. So like I said, I did a deep dive, so I've seen a ton of his tape over this year, and I watched some of last year too, and his game just seems very different. It's like he's lost confidence. Maybe he knew he wasn't going to the World Juniors and that kind of impacted him. Not making the Liga right out of the gate, I think that impacted him. And especially in the first half of the season, there was, he just kind of, he seemed off. That started to come a little bit more as the season went on, not to the same level he was last year or where we kind of hoped he would be. Um, but yeah, and then you see the guys, like Eklund is the perfect example because he was kind of a lower top 10 guy, and now he's shot up in the conversation for number one. Um, and he's excelled at the SHL level. So he's kind of everything that we hoped Roddy would be this year. Well, when we, we look at kind of 
this big mix of players here. I you know I was looking through your rankings to try and find the most recent. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but Luke Hughes is he still your number one guy this year? Yeah, he is. And uh, do you guys know when this will be uh, going live? Probably in the in the next week or so here. Okay, so I will say we we do have rankings coming out on uh, Friday. Does it does it change? Does it change no, at all? He is, Luke Hughes will still be our number one guy on Friday. Okay. So what what is it about Hughes then that that you've got him? Uh, you know, it's probably not a huge step above the rest, but what what about him has him at number one for you guys? Okay. Um, so yeah, they're very much in the same tier. The top, I I think it would be at least the top ten guys right now are still in that same tier and in that conversation. And a lot of our scouts have different opinions of who should be the number one guy. Uh, but for Hughes, he's, he's my personal number one. Uh, he just, he moves the puck so well. He's so good on his feet. And a lot of people don't realize like he's, he's only six days away from the 2022 NHL draft. So he's one of the youngest guys in this draft, but he's still performing as one of the best players. And if you look at him, over the course of the season, I think he's one of the players that improved the most. So you can kind of see that he's on that upward trajectory in his development. And being that he is so young, that's very impressive. So he should take a big step next year too. And uh, yeah, I just think he has a very, very high ceiling. Do So I think the thing that's interesting, right, is, you know, he's the third of the Hughes brothers. And I think, you know, Quinn Hughes kind of popping like he did last year and then having a little bit of a struggle this year as far as just Vancouver kind of really managing to just fall apart early and then you almost have the opposite with Jack Hughes who was first year everybody was like oh no what happened and then this year everybody's like oh yeah no this kid's actually the kid we thought was good turns out he's actually good and I wonder like does any of that kind of you know, because we know hockey is such a, a dynasty sport kind of a thing, like a, a family sport in a lot of ways, that I wonder if his brothers going before him and kind of having the inverse first couple of years, if that changes their perception around the league or with scouts or anything like that. Like, does any of that bounce back on Luke Hughes? I don't think it will. Um I know there's always talk whenever you talk about him, you have to talk about the brothers and he's a little bit of a different player than Quinn. He's a bit bigger. He's not as fast um, on his feet. And so you you can, it might be a worry, but I mean, you're running that risk with any prospect. Right. They might not adjust the league right away. And, and like I said, he is pretty young still, so he's not going to jump right in the league. He's going to, he's going to go to the NCAA and he'll take a year, maybe even two. Um, so, and honestly, if anything, maybe he'll take some extra time just to see what happened, just because of what happened with his brothers. Interesting. Um, okay, so you have Luke Hughes, number one, who is, it's funny, I'm I'm looking at your rankings right now, and in the top 10, there are only two guys under six foot, whereas last year it felt like there were like maybe two guys over six foot in the top 10. <laughs> and, you know, who... So let me say it this way. How clear for you is Luke Hughes as the number one pick? Like, is it no matter who wins, he should be taken? Or is it close enough that if a team maybe needs a goalie or a high-end forward, that it's kind of worth maybe jumping past him because the, the, the margin is small? 
Yeah, I, I do think it's going to be position-based. So I, I think if you look at a team that is stacked on D, I think they'll probably look to one of the forwards. Um, yeah, I know we always say we love to try and go for best player available. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you go position-based, and that might run through the top 10. That might be what dictates it. Interesting. Owen Power for me, I, I feel like <laughs> if we were – you know, five or six years ago, and we're looking at the draft then, is he not 100% the first overall pick just because he's six foot five, 211 pounds heading into the draft? And, like, I know we haven't gotten away from GMs loving, you know, big, mobile, rangy defensemen, uh, and, and especially ones that can skate. But I, I feel like Owen Power is almost a few years too late to where he still is in the number one discussion, but yeah, if we were if we were a couple of years dialed back here, I, th- I think he'd be one of those guys that you just you, you can't not draft him. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, I I think most mock drafts from here to the draft are going to have power at number one, no matter the team. I think he's probably the guy that, and we saw it in uh, Bob McKenzie's rankings that came out the other day. Is is ten out of ten scouts have him number one? So I think five years ago, yeah, maybe the public would have him number one but yeah i think he's still the nhl's number one guy uh six foot six guy that can skate you don't see that too often i mean you do have simon edvidson who's six four and can skate but those two inches matter yeah what is it about power then that i mean you guys have him at three so it's not far off of what mckenzie and a lot of other people have at one but what is it other than the size? Because that's the first thing everybody looks at is obviously that he's six foot five. It was kind of similar in a way to Quentin Byfield, where you looked at the first thing you saw in the headlining thing about him was the size and you dive into it. And of course, Byfield had the skill and the speed and everything to go with it. What else does power have to his game besides being just a massive human being? So on top of that size, typically when you have a defenseman, especially that size, they can't skate. They're clunky. They're awkward. Power can skate. So he's got a powerful stride. He's He can get up there with speed. Um, he's actually got some very nice hands. Offensively, he's he's very, very good. Uh, for us, so we have him at three here. He's, he's actually going to drop down a couple spots in our, our new addition that's coming out. Um, and it's just some questions on in the defensive end and just about what his ceiling could be. Um, but, yeah, he's going to be he's going to be hard to turn down really early with that. That skating stride, that speed, and that size, and that reach he has, because that reach is is going to be very attractive to an NHL team. So it's interesting that you say the defensive end is a little bit more of the concern with him. Which you know, to Eddie's point, I think five or six years ago, if you heard that a defenseman was over six four, you're like, oh, okay, so we just assume he's a defensive guy, and that's <laughs> not the case here. What what about his abilities in his own end lead to there being some questions about exactly what he can be. So for me, I did my look at uh, the Michigan guys pretty early and I just found that there are some times where he gets caught puck watching a little bit. So he Mm -hmm. plans himself for for the net. He's watching the puck and he misses the guy that just snuck in behind him. Um, So just, I'd like to see a little bit more awareness. Um, There are times when I didn't feel he was overly engaged in front of the net and even in the corners. Um, he's definitely a guy that I find is better when he has the puck and when he has space. Um, Interesting. He's, he's good in the transition. Once he gets in the offensive zone, he's he's one of the best players on the ice, and we even saw that in the, the NCAA. Um, 
But yeah, I, I would just like to see his defensive game improve a little bit. But honestly, for most of these D-men in the top 10, that you could probably say the same thing. Interesting. Um, so I, I'm just looking at this list and there's so many things that kind of stand out. Like, you know, <laughs> for me, as as I learn more about this stuff, you know, little things here and there. And I think one of the things that's interesting is over the last few years, we have seen the conversation change to... Uh, reflect the fact that people really don't think goalies are first round draft picks anymore just because it's so uncertain and it takes them longer and you know all those kinds of things and yet simultaneously you've got Carter Hart and Spencer Knight and last year you have uh oh my god why can't I think of the kid's name Askarov Askarov I kept thinking Amarov um you have Askarov and you know it's just you have you FC you guys have uh Wallstead the goalie at number two yep. and it's it's just so interesting to me that as we've kind of had this conversation evolve about how do you look at goalies in the draft and developing them that we've also seen from a bunch of different places goalies also kind of emerge at, at such a young age that they're finding their way into the top end of the draft but so I'm just like, so what is it about Wallstead? Cause he's old, like, he's, it's silly to say, but he's only six foot three. So he's not necessarily, you know, that huge guy where you're like, oh, he's just going to eat net. What is it about him that you guys are so high on potentially? So Wallstead is, for me, he's, he's a strong contender for number one. Uh, really? I, earlier, earlier in the year, I actually had him at number one. Luke Hughes is, they, they're right there. Uh, but so what Wallstead has done this season in the SHL is kind of unheard of for a draft eligible. Uh, most European goalies might bounce a little bit in the top leagues in their nations. Uh, they don't stick there for the full year, and they definitely don't take over the starting job. Granted, he's, he lost the starting job as the season went on, but he had it for a while, and he was putting up ridiculous numbers. Um, on top of that, he's textbook. He's pretty much perfect um he's not (laughs) he's not the the athletic goaltender like Askarov he's the textbook guy so you look at the the battle between Hasek and Waugh Hasek is Askarov Waugh is Wallstead right so he's for me he's right there so is he almost as good or nowhere near as good as uh Lucas Dostal who I have been told is the second coming uh and Anaheim fans have been glad that he's kind of turned it around um it definitely impacts the decision i think i was looking at <laughs> and I, was thinking, I really like wallstead but i think you probably pass you probably take one of the forwards or defenders uh just because you do have dostal and yeah he is looking good so if there's goalies later on you can grab one of them and all right they perfect. pan out all the time because i so i'm gonna we're gonna, gonna yell at jay about Gibson, this right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> This summer, right? That's what I heard. Yeah, that's the rumor, bud. <laughs> it, it's funny how we've kind of come full circle on, on the way goalies have been evaluated or where they've been drafted. You know, back when Mark Andre Fleury was going first overall, and then for a while, was, you wouldn't touch a goaltender unless you had two picks in the first round, or you would you see the first one go off the board in the second round. Now we're back to guys going in the top fifteen, and Askarov almost touching the top ten, and now Wallstad likely getting into the top ten. It's just. Uh, 
it's funny to watch these things pan out as you kind of start to pay more attention over the years and how they, they kind of rotate in and out and, and the way teams kind of evaluate certain players. But we, we, we got to get to the last two defensemen that are perceived to, to potentially go in the top half of the draft here. And uh, you mentioned Simon Edvinson already being kind of a, a bit similar to, to Owen Power and a big rangy defenseman. And then Brant Clark, who unfortunately didn't get to play for the Barry Colts this year because the OHL season didn't get going. He goes to Slovakia, which is my favorite league to watch because somehow guys just amassed the most absurd penalty minutes I've ever seen. We watched Hunter Drew put up like 120 penalty minutes in 20 games when he was there <laughs> on loan. So it's, a, it's tough to, I guess, uh, evaluate a guy who you thought was going to be playing in one league and then goes over to a completely different league that obviously uh, things aren't exactly the same. What are... You know, you we'll start with Edmondson and then move to Clark. But what are your your thoughts on Edmondson and what he's been able to do and shoot up the rankings this year? Yeah, like I said, I think he's a similar guy to Power. Uh, he's a great skater and his just vision is is incredible. Um, you could kind of say the same thing about his defensive game. Um, I do think he might be a little bit better than Power uh, in his own end. On my board, I would have Edmondson just a bit above Power. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's also another guy that's played at the top level, played in the SHL this year. He also played in the the hockey Osfen scan, so the second tier league. Um, yeah, and he, both of these guys, Edmondson and Clark, are playing next week at the U18. So I think they they could see some movement in their draft board. It's a ranking. big showing for for Clark then, right? With uh, I mean, obviously, scouts have gotten eyes on him in Slovakia, but he hasn't got, I guess as much eyes as he would have playing for Barry in the OHL. That that has to be a big tournament for him if he wants to get back to being in that discussion for first overall, because back when we were looking at preseason rankings, he was kind of up there as one of those guys as, as potentially being the best defenseman in this draft and the guy who could shoot for number one. And he's just kind of been hurt more so because he hasn't been able to play his season as expected this year. Yeah, and this is especially hard because you go to Slovakia and it took him a little bit of time to adjust. And now there's, you can kind of discuss if Slovakia is on the same level as the OHL. You might say there's more talent in the OHL than in the Slovakian league. Um, so how can you really compare that? So I think seeing him next week against all these other draft eligibles, including Edmondson, and unfortunately not Hughes, but he should have been there uh, if it wasn't for his injury. Uh, it's going to be a good way to kind of set the bar between them. Um, obviously, you've got to factor in their whole years, but it's it's going to be a, a good little sample of, uh, of how they compare up. So I think one of the things that I was just kind of skipping through right now is Clark is... So I will do the the armchair scout version of this, right? You look up Brent Clark... He's six foot one. He's about 180 pounds, and he's right-handed. The fact that he's six foot one makes me think that he's just. I'm just going to assume that he is a right-handed offensive player because that is what it means. And and then you look, and he's just sitting there at six, and you know the, you've got a goalie and a winger ahead of him, and I think you know the conversation, especially over the last five or six years around right-handed goalies or right-handed defensemen has just been so insane um, that it almost feels like it's not a good sign that a top 10 right-handed defenseman isn't higher than six. And I just, 
So for, for those of us who have no clue, what is Brant Clark? What kind of game does he play? Well, I feel like I have to say he's an offensive guy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's definitely an offensive defenseman. Um, I, yeah, he, again, like I said, he's defenseman at the top. I There are some flags, their defensive game. Um, for Clark, I watched some of his earlier stuff in Slovakia. I haven't seen too much of his later stuff. Uh, and I just didn't love the effort in his own zone. He's definitely Oof. more focused on moving the puck up the ice. Maybe that's because of the league. Maybe he knows that he can kind of take advantage of the speed of the league just because he is so quick. Um, but yeah, he's he's the offensive guy. And I'd, like you said, with the right hand, that could factor in, especially when you consider that the next best right-hand defenseman might not come until the second round. Oh, okay. Um, around there i think i think scott morrow's in consideration there and he could be a fringe first but um yeah so that might weigh in on on a team's decision seems fairly f- f- uh, familiar to last year with jamie drysdale going six and then i think the next right shot defenseman might have been helge grants to the kings in the second round or around there late in the first where there was that one guy the headlining guy who went in the top 10 and then if you wanted to look for a right-handed defenseman you had to find it later to get kind of Ducks fans uh, on the same page here as, as Jamie Drysdale, how similar is Brant Clark to, to Drysdale in, in their draft years? It's so hard because I feel like in a normal year, we might say that they're kind of on the same level. Um, this year, given how it's gone and given how Clark's progressed, I might say he's a step behind Drysdale. Um, then, of course, he's going to prove me wrong at the U18s next week. Um, so yeah, I, right now I would say Drysdale would be a step ahead of Clark, but I, I think that's still kind of a uh, pretty open given the year. You're appealing is, to the right audience here. Yeah. <laughs> is Clark's skating as strong as Drysdale's? Because for me, I, I almost can't believe how quickly Jamie Drysdale has managed to turn his skating into a strong into a strength at the NHL as opposed to a crutch. You know, it's not a thing that he's relying on. It's a thing that he's utilizing. And I think that's a very big difference. And so I wonder, you know, is Brant Clark more of a a cerebral type player or is he a guy that's, you know, he's physical or any of those kinds of things? Um, I think Clark might have the edge in skating. I think Drysdale might have the edge everywhere else wow um, clark's a pretty strong skater i think even last year he was he was probably one of the best skating defensemen defensemen in the ohl um and even in slovakia he could make teams look silly uh, with his feet oh, wow. so it'll be on display next week um and I, I i think i think his skating is is one of the better in this class the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Either way, to me, he seems destined for the Ottawa Senators. I feel like it's just going to happen. <laughs> he just, Ottawa boy, just feels like he's he's fit to go there. Uh, and you've also got Mason McTavish, who's also an Ottawa guy. So yeah. it's hard. 
and he's a guy that, again, similar to Brand Clark, had to go overseas, right? Obviously, the OHL kids and uh, and not being able to get uh, any playing time this year. Othman and, and Pinelli as well. Othman also went over uh, to Switzerland to play. How much does that cancellation hurt these guys' draft draft stock for the upcoming year? I know they still got playing time. They still got eyes on them. But, you know, maybe the top guys are safe. But some of those fringe guys who would have been, you know, second and third round picks, how much does the OHL not having any games at all hurt them? It's interesting, and I, I don't think you can put it on just the OHL not having a season because some guys, so you look at, um, oh, I'll use the WHL too, uh, Carson Lambos, he went over and it hurt his draft stock. But then you look at a guy like Logan Melu, and he's entered first round conversation at some point um, for some organizations out there, and he's kind of wasn't really on that radar entering the year. Uh, but he's looked good in his league. Granted, it's not a, a great league. Um, so I think some guys have really helped their stock, and some it has hurt. Some it hasn't really done much. A guy like Brett Harrison, it, I don't feel like it really did too much. Um, he had showed flashes of looking good in Finland, and then flashes of looking, eh, maybe this isn't what we want. Um, and Pinelli, the same. You could say the same. He had some games where he looked great, and some where it looked like he just couldn't adjust. Um, Othman and McTavish, though, they kind of lit up the league. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed with how they perform, but uh, it's just really a case-by-case basis. Yeah, and, and then you have to take into account how much different, like you said, those leagues are than the OHL and, and where the, the level of competition changes. But when we look at like the top group of forwards that are presumably going to go in this draft, they all had, I guess you could say, regular seasons to some extent. And we'll start with the two kids and in that insane, uh, insane Michigan team this year. Uh, when you look at Matty Beniers and, and Kent Johnson and the freshman seasons that they had with Michigan. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously Owen Power is a part of that team. Luke Hughes is going to be a part of that team next season. So it's just a ridiculous amount of talent that they have available there, but uh, kind of two polar opposites here in, in Matty Beniers, uh, at least from what I've looked at is kind of profiled as that responsible two way, 200 foot center. He does have some, some offensive flair to him, but then Kent Johnson is kind of that Mitch Marner type where it's, it's all flash. It's all skill. It's, it's kind of, you know, he'll, he'll wow you on a nightly basis. What, uh, what do those two guys bring and where do you kind of expect them to, to go when the, when it comes down to it? Yeah, he kind of nailed it. Uh, for veneers, he's just so dynamic and he's a guy who never takes his foot off the gas. Um, just, constantly going and we saw that the world juniors we saw that at, with michigan all season um he's one of our, one of the other guys with fc justin Ruiz. He, he calls him a bull um like he, he's always just going in horns first and usually he's coming out with the puck uh he can just outpower guys um and yeah he's solid in his own end takeaways face offs he's kind of exactly what you want in a centerman with johnson if you want the one of the highest ceilings in the class, it might be Ken Johnson you go for. Uh, he's just, his hands are so good. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the clips from uh, Michigan coming out where he just dances around teams with one hand on the stick and somehow gets a backhand off with one hand. Uh, he's just so impressive. Um, yeah, Johnson seems to be at the back half of the, the top 10 and, and kind of stuck there. Um, there are some times where you can, kind of see him get the blinders on when he enters the zone where he's just focused on going to the net. Maybe he misses the, the open pass where it could have set up a better play. Uh, but he, he's his ceiling is definitely one of the highest. Do you think 
that either of these guys are in a position to where they're going to be moved to the wing or do both of them or one or two, you know, or either of them project as um, kind of straightaway NHL centers? I think Veneers would probably stick to center. Okay. Johnson, Johnson, I see more as a winger. Um, and then the other top 10 guy, William Eklund, I think he stays center. Mm, okay. So that's interesting then, because again, just doing, you know, the typical uh, armchair crap. <laughs> William Eklund's only 5'10", which I have been told by 200 hockey men is the only thing that matters is being over six foot. Uh, so what kind of game does William Eklund play? Like, where does he kind of fall on that, I guess you could say, kind of spectrum between Beneers and Johnson as far as style of play? So Eklund is more of the playmaker. Um, so he's been playing with uh, Alexander Holtz all season and just oh, okay. feeding him. Um, so he's he's good in his own end. I wouldn't say he's a uh, his style isn't a two way player, but he is good in his own end. Um, he's definitely a, a playmaker and producing um, in the SHL in a draft year is, is pretty impressive. So um, yeah, he's he's a little bit smaller, but I. I think he's good enough that you keep him in the middle. And we kind of wrap up the rest of those those top guys with Dylan Genther. And, you know, he's gotten off to a ridiculous start in the WHL and been a little bit of a victim to a kind of a long break that they've had and, you know, just starting to kind of get back here. But I think he had 24 points in his first 12 games. Just uh, an unbelievable start and a good way to, to kind of boost your draft stock, especially with a late start to, to his season. I know he had a a brief stint in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, which was, was an interesting option for him there. But uh, what what does he bring that the other guys don't? Because I feel like, you know, we've got the the d- dynamic playmaker in Ken Johnson, a few kind of defensively responsible centers in the top half of the draft, and then obviously the, the defenseman. Is he kind of the Alexander Holtz of this draft in the kind of premier goal scorer? I don't think so. Uh, I think the, the goal scorer is either McTavish, Othman, or Lucius, Chaz Lucius. Not a real person. Um, <laughs> Genther, he's not maybe almost like a power forward, but with more skill. Because um, he's got the strength, but then he's got the um, he's got the skating, he's got the vision, he's got the passing and shooting. He's kind of that all-around offensive forward. Um, I feel like he's a pretty safe bet in the draft. Interesting. So he's he's a guy. Especially with the, the U18s, he should be a top player for Canada. He's a guy that's in the conversation for first overall. Um, I think Bob McKenzie mentioned it that because I think they had him or he had him second overall. And if a team wants a forward instead of a defenseman, Genther could be that guy. So the way you kind of framed it there kind of sets this up perfectly. I, you know, I think for the first time in a couple of years, Anaheim can kind of see light at the end of the prospect tunnel right now, you know, and, and Eddie will be able, Eddie will be able to correct me here as necessary, but you know, you look at Anaheim's prospect pipeline right now and you clearly have the two, you know, gems in Zegris and Dreesdale and then you've got guys like Perot and Colangelo who, you know, you're hoping can step into top six goal scoring uh, roles. I know Eddie's high on some of the uh, 
later round defensemen that they've taken. Um, for you, who do you think makes the most sense for Anaheim? As far as uh, just yeah, who does just who makes the most sense for Anaheim? Do you think? It's it, I, it's it's really interesting because I could see a case where you guys take any position. Like you talk about if you guys go centerman, I think Matty Beniers would be the guy. Uh, you got Zegers, you possibly got Sam Steele in a middle six center, and then add Beniers, and your top three centermen are set moving forward. And we've already seen what Zegers and Beniers can do as a one-two punch at the World Juniors. Um, so I did a mock draft for for Sporting News earlier this year. And I had the Ducks taking veneers because it just fits perfectly with Zegers, and it was right after the World Juniors. Um, if you want to go a defenseman, I think you could, and I think it it might make sense. Like you do have Drysdale's right hand guy, so maybe maybe a Owen Power would be the perfect guy to put next to him for down the line. Um, and then yeah, like putting imagining imagining Zegers with. A Ken Johnson or a Genther, that's that's pretty exciting. So maybe you want to go that. So there's there's definitely arguments for those three, um, but not a goalie. So not, all right, not, at least we know that. we're not going to take that for Wallstead. Well, now we know who we're getting. Yeah, no. Thanks, Ed. You're definitely getting Wallstead now. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if I put you in charge and you've got the first overall pick, who do you take for Anaheim? The who do you think is the pick. best pick? Yeah. Oh, that's tough. See, I don't. I feel like I would want to go with Luke Hughes because mm. if that first spot, I feel like he's the highest ceiling, and even though he might be a couple years, he's gonna be he's gonna be one of your best players. Um, so imagining him and Drysdale together running a power play—that's that's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, that's like Colorado with Makar and Byram. So. I, th- I think he's, he'd be the guy for me. Do you take into account, or should you take into account, I guess I should say, if you're a team and you look at, you know, some of the top guys available for 2022 and 2023, when you look at, you know, some of the centermen and Lambert and Wright for 2022 and, and Bedard for 2023, should that even weigh into your decision this year? Or maybe, you know, the Ducks aren't going to be good likely in 2022, as potentially as far as 2023. Should you take a defenseman or take the winger knowing there could be centers near the top half of the draft? Or do you not even, it's not even worth taking that gamble just because you don't know where you're going to be in the draft for those upcoming years? It's definitely hard. And then because next year you also have the new lottery rules coming in. So I think you can only move up, what, 10 spots max. And so you can take a risk if you want to kind of go for one of those guys. And next year, next year's looking good throughout the top 10. So maybe you, maybe you want to do that. But I'm kind of a big believer that you know you know what you have this year. So you know you're going to have a top, what, I think you guys are top four at least right now. Yeah. Uh, you know you've got that pick. You don't know what you're going to have next year. Maybe guys like Steele, Comtois, and some of your other young guys really take a step forward, and all of a sudden you're, you're kind of in the middle of the pack and right is somewhere else. And that would just be terrible because obviously mm-hmm. you're going to want a guy like Wright, especially if you're planning on a low pick. Um, so yeah, I think you you take what you view as the best player this year. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we would have to hope so. I mean, <laughs> I I think the Ducks are in a good position 
in the sense that, you know, like you had said earlier, where you can't really go wrong. You can make a case for really all of those guys, except for Wallstat, where you could say, oh, well, they could use a left-handed defenseman to play with Drysdale. They could use a, another center to go along with Trevor Zegris because we don't know what Sam's deal is yet. And they could use a winger to put on that top line eventually with a guy like Zegris and Perot or Colangelo and, and kind of be another offensive weapon on that line. So if you're the Ducks this year, it, it's very hard to walk away from whoever they select and, and argue it and, and say that it wasn't the right selection. I mean, you, you know, everybody will have their different opinions on where guys go, but at least they're, you know, it doesn't seem like there'd be a positional argument there saying, oh, why did they take this guy? And maybe Brent Clark, I can guess, could be the exception to that in already having Jamie Drysdale. But even then, I mean, Drysdale played much of his beginning part of his NHL career on the left side of Josh Manson. So you can, <laughs> you can make that argument either way. So. I I real real quick I I can't let you two get away with this Isaac Lundstrom erasure as far as Sam Steele being a middle six center ahead of my my beautiful boy Isaac who I would just like to say has looked incredible this year thank you very much I mean I mean on that note we've been talking about right hand defenseman and haven't even mentioned Ian Moore so same thing back to you guys. Defenseman <laughs> <laughs> of the week, Ian Moore. <laughs> I, I criticized that one too. I was heavily, heavily critical of the high school picks of Jackson Lacombe and Ian Moore, and they've, yeah, Ian Moore a little bit slower than Lacombe, but Lacombe great this year and had a nice step forward. And then Ian Moore, uh, that second half of the season he's had so far with the Steel. I know it's an exceptional team, and it's it's hard to to do wrong on a team that scores as many goals as the Steel do, but. He's looked better, and it's you know it's probably that adjustment time, right, where you're coming from high school and stepping into a bit more of a challenging league, and you know he's he's taken it by storm. I'll I'll give him I'll give him credit for now for for where they where they got him at. <laughs> yeah, he's the guy I liked last year, so uh, I'm, I've got big hopes for him. Well, when you're you're looking at kind of those later round picks this year, and obviously it's a bit of an interesting draft, and guys could fall for a variety of reasons. Who are some of those guys that could fall outside the first round that when you walk away from you say, oh, that guy's a steal. I mean, similar to, to what teams were saying with uh, Arthur Kaliev when he fell to the Kings, uh, I believe it was a couple of years ago or last year when they got him there. What, who's that guy this year? It's interesting. I'm not sure there is one guy. Uh, maybe uh, Russian Prokhor Palpatov. Um, he's a guy that kind of fits that Kaliev bill. So he's uh, um, offensive and he's, He's almost right up there with Johnson in terms of creativity in the offensive end. And I've seen games where he kind of just watches guys skate by the other way. So <laughs> the effort isn't, isn't always there, but honestly, he, he might be one of one of the higher ceiling guys in this class. Um, you look at a guy like Logan Stankoven in uh, WHL. He's 5'8". So I feel like he's probably a prime candidate to, to slip into the second, but the skill is there. He's, he's probably one of the most guys who, uh, he's very active in the offensive zone so he's 5'8 but he's the guy that they plant in front of the net on the power play because he's so good at finding space for himself and he's so good at getting open and getting uh, available for the team so there, there are a couple guys that could slip a little bit I'm a little I'm a little disappointed that uh, Logan wasn't a little higher up in the draft board this year because then we could have gotten tank for stank which <laughs> that would have been great I would have loved seeing that all over Twitter um so you had mentioned it kind of earlier and I would be very curious to know who are some of those kind of post 
second post third round guys that you think teams are well let me ask it this way first here do you think that because everything has been so weird not only for these prospects but just in the NHL in general everything the travel has been difficult and the conditions have been difficult or you know it's all been uh, complicated far more than it was to begin with just because of covid and everything going on do you think that will give teams an advantage in later rounds or do you think the teams that were going to do well were going to do well regardless because they kind of have that infrastructure already in place it's going to be interesting i think that it's it's, i feel like i'm going to answer your question but maybe not directly we'll see um the guys that have the teams that were already relying on video the guys that were already relying on analytics and looking two three years out of the draft those are those teams are going to be very evident after this year so because you can't be live in the rink, the teams that solely rely on live views, they're going to be impacted negatively. And obviously it's going to be hard to tell right at the draft this year, next year, the year after. But five, ten years down the line, we'll, we'll look back at this draft as the one where we could really analyze team scouting departments. Um, a team like the Leafs who drafts the guys that the public sphere loves, um, the analytic darlings even though there's some big flags in their game uh if they pan out and so they kind of do the same thing this year the hurricanes are another team um maybe maybe they keep doing that and this will be the year where we see how that pans out for them yeah they've, they've kind of been though that team like i think the the hurricanes the leafs and the, and the kings have been those teams where they've taken everybody's favorite guys and they're perceived at least for the time being to be the real winners of the draft but we have to you know wait five and years down the road to really see how that pans out and if that's the way to go. Um, you know, when, when it comes down to evaluating prospects and you know analyzing the, these guys over a year-to-year basis, I think everybody kind of develops their guys they would go to war for and the guys they fight for every year. You might not be able to tell me off the top of your head, but who's the guy that you've been fighting for all year? Who's the guy you'd go to war for? And uh, if you had to tell any team to draft this guy, who, who's that guy for you? Um, honestly, I feel like I'd probably have a few. Um, maybe not in the first round. Well, in the first round, I'd Zach Dean out of uh, out of the queue. Um, uh, he missed the start of the season to an injury, and then, but entering the year, I think I had him as a top fifteen guy. And as he got came back injury, got used to things, he became one of the most offensive players in the league. And he's just he's so good um, offensively. He can dance through defenders he can create space for his teammates um he's just so good at kind of creating chaos in the offensive zone uh, with his puck handling and playmaking and he's probably the guy in the first round that i fight for um moving down the list i feel like i've i've had a few more this guy is like um uh, oliver kapanen in finland he's uh, a bit of a two-way guy uh, but he, he really stood out. I think he's probably one of the best finished guys in this class. Uh, and then for defensemen, I think a couple of my favorite would be um, Jack Pert. So he's another kind of high school guy, half high school, half USHL this year. Uh, I, I think he might be too creative to be a defenseman at times. Um, he can kind of just dance through forwards and defensemen and find his way to the net. 
Uh, it's it's kind of crazy. I think he only has one USHL goal, but there's so many clips of him dancing through the team, planting in front of the net, and then waiting for the pass across instead of shooting. Um, and then another <laughs> another USHL guy, actually, uh, David Gucciardi, who kind of fits that mold too. Uh, he's a guy just really excels in transition and uh, hasn't been talked about a whole lot this year, but whenever FC has our, our rankings calls, he's always a guy I kind of fight to bump up the list a little bit more and he's he's not in our top 100 for winter but he'll be in the new ones there it is yeah so, i always love seeing steven's reactions to some of these guys names it <laughs> kills me man like i can't wait to see Chaz and cruz lucius as a part of the ducks in the coming years <laughs> honest uh record McGrordy. yeah right. yeah I, not a real person that's yeah. a wrestler from the 80s like I, it, you know, and then it's just like Dennis Lambert, which is a perfectly fine name. And then you see that he's Finnish and I'm like, there's no dude in Finland named Dennis. Like, that's not, it's Especially ridiculous. Since his name's Brad. Brad, that's what it is. <laughs> Whatever. Brad, that makes my point even more. But yes, the, the fact that his name is Brad would explain why there are no Finnish Dennises. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, uh, I think one of the things me and Eddie, you know, and, and Pat and Jay have kind of talked about is trying to get a good idea on what the Ducks have and what the Ducks don't have. So I, we'll get to the two big ones in a second. But I think of, are there any of the other names you said, Ian Moore, a second ago, that you think have the potential to be more than an NHL player at the NHL level for the Ducks? Is there anybody that maybe they drafted a little bit ago that still hasn't quite hit? Um, or somebody that they just took that maybe didn't get as much love because of Drysdale? Is there anybody kind of in that spectrum for you? Um, I feel like Braden Tracy is a guy that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, he's, what, 2019 draft, I think? He, he was yeah. a guy I really liked. Um, I think he, he might take a little bit of time, but I feel like he's the guy that could pan out as a top six forward um you talked about needing a, a winger for zegris maybe maybe that's a bit of a stretch um but he's, he's definitely a guy that i've really liked from what i've seen um and yeah like i said ian moore and even jackson lacombe both of those guys have, have taken big steps forward and i think they're they're probably on the right path um more than just an nhl player not positive but um they're guys that i, I feel pretty confident in being nhlers yeah, the, the Ducks kind of have a lot of those guys that are teetering on being something more than just a regular NHL player. I think Thrun's in that conversation. I, I think Perot and, and how quickly he's adjusted to the American Hockey League this year has is, is been a, you know a positive sign. Playing for a not-so-great Sire New team in, in his draft year and then coming up and, and playing kind of in a top-six role for San Diego, he's started to get to that point where you know he was labeled as a pure goal scorer but he's shown some playmaking ability this year and a bit more hunger than he maybe showed showed with with Sarnia and, and being such a tough situation there but as Stephen mentioned like the the, the two big guys and, and the two guys that everybody focuses on are are Jamie Drysdale and, and Trevor Zegras and you know Zegras was a given that we were going to see him this year at some point Jamie Drysdale has been sort of a, a gift that's been handed to us thanks to the the Ontario Hockey League this year and you know, he's just adjusted a lot sooner than I think all of us really imagine, not just to the AHL, but then to, you know, his 14 games he's played in the NHL so far this year. You know, are you higher on any of these guys now 
than you were in their draft seasons. I know you had Drysdale at, at six, I believe, in your final rankings, and that's a, where he eventually went. You know, how much, how much more do you believe in these guys now that they've kind of adjusted well this year? Um, for Drysdale, I, I did think he would spend at least one more year in the OHL, um, but I think I told Stephen, or I think it was Stephen earlier this year, that I, I thought Drysdale could make a push next season. Uh, so, given the state of the OHL, I think maybe that's kind of on the right path. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely impressed with how well he seemed to adjust. And Zegers, I, I kind of, kind of figured he'd just shock everybody. Uh, maybe not as fast as he did, maybe not with the impact that he has. But uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's surprising to me. Um, maybe just given the year, it's it's a bit surprising that it's so fast. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's pulling off just uh, moves that show he's fairly bored with yeah. the American Hockey League. That, that yeah. one goal he had uh, a couple of days ago where he pulled it to what we thought was going to be the backhand and flicked it in with the toe of his stick. He, you can, he, he seems like a guy who's pretty desperate to get back to playing in the show rather than, than yeah. spending his time in, in San Diego, that's for sure. The clip where it looks like somebody turned off his controller and yeah. you know how fast he can turn it back on before you have to shoot. Yeah, Ridiculous. <laughs> well... I, I I think that's that's about what we have for you. I first of all, I, I think it's always important to uh, recognize your status as one of the founding members of the Hunter Drew fan club. I know you've been <laughs> big on him for a long time. Uh, I think yeah. you you told me that he would be a an AHL forward. And I laughed at you, and then for some reason he's, he's a wing in San Diego now. So that's fun. Uh, but you know, I I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us um you know i i always appreciate reading your stuff and seeing what you have to say on twitter uh is is there anything you want to plug for anybody uh listening uh yeah for sure so um like i i mentioned our rankings are coming out on friday so this will already be out so you can go and check those out um and along with that we'll have kind of a breakdown of the top 32 that'll be up on sporting news um, and then also this weekend, we're getting ready for the U18s. So there'll be a top 10 to watch for the 2021 draft and then a top seven to watch for the 22 and 23 drafts. Uh, it was supposed to be a top five, but I couldn't limit it to five guys, added two more. And then <laughs> there's also 10 on the honorable mention list. So there's a lot of young guys I'm excited about in this tournament. Uh, but yeah, so just make sure to check out FC Hockey. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Always happy to chat some prospects so anytime guys so uh yeah um i think we'll probably have to have you back on after the draft so you can tell us how bad everybody screwed it up yeah when the ducks draft wall set yeah yeah exactly and then if we can laugh at eddie set, I'm, I'm blaming you for this <laughs> i'll probably just delete twitter and never talk to anyone again <laughs> unless they tra- if they trade john gibson and then draft wall set i'll have an argument to make there i won't be happy but I'll have an argument to make there if they draft Wallstat already. It still have John Gibson. I'm, I, I just, I'll probably quit the podcast and that's it. <laughs> I think the podcast itself will just fold at that moment. So, <laughs> well, uh, thanks again. And like I said, we'll definitely catch back up with you uh, this summer after everything goes down. Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, at home for for playing along with us, and uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Bye.